I'm really excited now for the next few minutes here on WGTD to be speaking with someone who is on the staff of Popular Mechanics and one of the people responsible for a really fascinating and entertaining book which takes a a somewhat uncommon look at the world of sports through scientific eyes. The book is called Why a Curveball Curves, The Incredible Science of Sports. And in this really interesting book, uh, we are shown, uh, in particular, the, the physics which are involved in uh, a, a lot of the things which we tend to sort of take for granted uh, in, in the world of sports, or things which we know something about and might admire, but but probably don't stop to consider in, in terms of, of the scientific facts behind what makes a curveball curve, or uh, what makes a, a certain boxing punch uh, particularly deadly or the physics involved in successfully kicking a field goal. Uh, We are looking at a number of different sports, including golf and bowling and basketball and baseball and soccer and and many more. And and we do so through the capable expertise of Popular Mechanics and our guest today on the morning show, Davin Coburn. Again, uh, one of the people involved in making this book possible. It's published by Hearst Books. Again, why a curveball curves the incredible science of sports. And Davin Coburn, we welcome you to the morning show. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Fine, fine. Tell us what you do for Popular Mechanics. I run the research department here at the magazine, and I was a contributor to this book. I was lucky enough to get to write some of the pieces that we've uh, that we've collected here. Very good. Uh, who had the idea of popular mechanics uh, taking up this topic in, in the form of a book? You know, I can't uh, exactly tell you the one person. It kind of came up at a staff meeting when we were talking about doing another one of our sports stories, and we thought, you know what? People think of this magazine as being kind of an automotive magazine or maybe as a do-it-yourself magazine, but throughout our 105-year history, actually, we have quite a past of analyzing the science and the technology behind athletics, and we'd actually just never collected all the stories in one place before. So this is not a, a drastic change, of course, for popular mechanics. This is, uh, in some ways, kind of a culmination of, of many such projects which have occurred over the years. A- absolutely it is. And we've, uh, you know, taken the initiative to add a couple of new pieces and update some of the things that we've run in the past. I think my personal favorite story in the book is one that actually ran 80 years ago in the magazine. It's an interview with Babe Ruth all about his approach to hitting. It's just fantastic to look back through our archives and see the sort of things that we've covered in the past and the ways that we can elaborate on those things now. Absolutely. And uh, and it's really fun because it's, as I kind of alluded to in the uh, in the uh, introduction, this is the kind of thing that in, in which we, 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 we know about these various exploits in sports, but, but don't stop to think about it to this extent or in this kind of detail or, or simply through the perspective of science. It is so fun to think about something familiar in a completely new way. Well, thank you. We agree. What you, what you said is exactly right. We think that it's sort of an uncommon look at things where often sports writing is concerned with the final score or how a player is developing over the course of a season or some such thing. Uh, we really sort of captured a freeze frame for some of the most exciting moments in all of sports, 
and really broke it down scientifically as far as the physics that you were talking about. What happens, for instance, when someone hits a home run? What are the dynamics involved in that? Uh, what are the dynamics for actually bowling really well, you know, for throwing a perfect game and bowling? What sort of physics are involved in that or in Tiger Woods' swing? Uh, that's something that our readers really sort of enjoy when we can kind of break those things down and get into the nitty-gritty of it all. Was it tough to come up with this particular array of sports? I mean, wh- let's say, what, what are the most painful omissions from this book or that well, we might look forward to in volume two? Oh, absolutely. We haven't gone into NASCAR in this book nearly as deeply as we could. Uh, interestingly enough, I think NASCAR is uh, one of the sports that relies most heavily on technology for sort of understandable reasons. Uh, you have engineers on these teams uh, and extensive wind tunnel technology and testing being done all the time to really embrace science in the ways that those results can offer teams a competitive advantage. Uh, when you talk about athletes in baseball, for instance, uh, many of them sort of understand the basic physics of what they're doing, though when they're standing at the plate, they don't really have time to crunch numbers. They're not worrying about trajectories and the rest of it. They're sort of reading and reacting to the situation. Uh, so I think when we think about doing a sequel to this book, one thing that we may concentrate on far more heavily is racing. Hmm. The only one that made me sad, uh, just because it's a great interest of mine and I think a perfect uh, vehicle for, for this kind of book, is figure skating hmm. and the physics of you know triple axles and landing those kind of jumps and uh, how those amazing spins are achieved and that kind of thing. I would fervently hope that figure skating will figure in any sequels to this book. Uh, well, thank you. We'll make note of that. We did a Winter Olympics package um, last year, actually, talking about uh, some of the Winter Olympic sports and what goes into doing those. We're currently working on a Summer Olympics package now that deals with the physics of pole vaulting, for instance, or the javelin throw, or you know some of the kayaking and other things that, that people really enjoy watching, the marathons. Uh, we will uh, we'll absolutely take that uh, under advisement. Thank you, and, and we'll look into it. So tell us how this book kind of got put together. Obviously, some of it involves... Uh, things which have been explored in the past, like uh, that wonderful Babe Ruth interview from many years ago in which he talks about uh, how he hits his home runs and proves to be uh, surprisingly articulate. Hmm. And then there seem to be other things that, that, that seem to have been uh, newly assembled for this book. Uh, kind of give us the nuts and bolts of, of how it all got put together. And, for instance, for the folks responsible for taking us into the realm of football, how did they go about doing that? Ah, well, when we were putting the book together, one of the things we were trying to achieve is, uh, you know, some sort of a balance that crosses all the major sports, but then gets into things that you've mentioned, sort of, you know, cycling and bowling and other things that, that people may not always watch on a Sunday afternoon, but that are wonderful to explore. As far as the people involved with each of the stories, uh, different members of the staff have different particular interests. Mine tend towards baseball. Uh, we have people on staff and that we work with who care very much about the NFL uh, and want to look into different sports. We have hockey fans on staff for sure. Uh, and then when those people began working on the stories, we've been really lucky to have extensive cooperation from current athletes and coaches uh, from physicists all across the United States who are studying different dynamics uh, in different niches of athletics, and we're really happy to lend their expertise to our project. Very good. Uh, so tell us, for instance, about your own uh, area of interest, which is, is baseball. First of all, do you come at this as someone uh, mostly uh, up in the stands or uh, someone who's also played the game a bit? 
Oh, I've played the game as a youngster. Uh, these days, it's certainly up in the fans, uh, uh, up in the stands, I guess. Uh, I was, you know, played baseball through high school and uh, became what I tend to think of as kind of a thinking man center fielder, which was about the point I got cut, frankly. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think uh, one of the things that's fun to look at at baseball is that I was always sort of fascinated by why things happen the way that they do. You know, a curveball certainly moves differently than a fastball, uh, and I understand that, you know, the pitcher is kind of breaking his wrist when he does that and trying to impart spin, but why exactly does that happen? You know, why is this fastball uh, tail away when I'm standing at the plate? Why is this foul ball hook the way that it does? Uh, and so, you know, this is something that I've actually just really enjoyed delving into to try and understand the dynamics of what is happening on uh, the baseball diamond and how those things are repeatable. Right. I mean, what makes, uh, what creates a sinking fastball or a curveball or a screwball uh, or a slider. And the thing that's kind of interesting to me, and I, th- I think it was obviously in some ways the central challenge facing you and your colleagues is uh, for whom to write this book and into how much detail to go in exploring some of these things. I mean, it, it seems to me you've, you've done a good job of, of finding a nice middle ground where the, the reader is not overwhelmed by kind of an avalanche of terminology and so on that, that, that they just can't quite take in. And yet this is not a baby book either. I mean, uh, this is a book which challenges the reader to, to really uh, keep up and, 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 and try to understand these things truly. Well, thank you. We actually take that as a real compliment. Uh, one of the challenges that we run into on a daily basis at this magazine is trying to take complex subjects and break them down in a way that is accurate, obviously, but that also the reader can understand at, at virtually any level. Uh, we, we put a lot of time and a lot of effort into that in this book, and largely that was done through the instrumental help of physicists who understand these things very well and can explain them uh, to folks you know, like me. I'm not necessarily a physicist by any means. Uh, but they can break things down and we can manage to sort of further digest things in a way uh, that we can explain them that most anyone can understand. We would hope that whether people are a casual fan who just want to know exactly how David Beckham does bend his free kicks or whether they're athletes who want to know different ideas for training and ways to improve different aspects of their games, we think really there's something in here for everyone. So how does a curveball curve? Or maybe the better question is, why does a curveball curve? Well, sure. Uh, and for people who want the physics equations and really want to dig into it, all that is in our book. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to something called the Magnus Force, which deals with the way that a spinning ball creates pressure deferentials in the air as it flies. Uh, and sort of the general rule of thumb is that whichever the way, uh, whichever the direction the front of the ball is spinning, that's the way the ball is going to break. On some level, it's pretty intuitive that if you have a curve ball that's thrown with a lot of topspin, it's going to bite downward. Uh, but these are the same physics that apply whether you're talking about curveballs, whether you're talking about Beckham's free kicks, whether you're talking about the way that I slice a ping pong ball across my basement. Uh, it's neat to see that while we can talk about many different sports, actually the same fundamental principles apply to all of them. And I suppose by the time we're done exploring these various sports, we, we come to... A, a better and better understanding of how all of this works. You know, it's, uh, I hope so, for sure. And it would, the really neat thing to me is that I've been asked whether or not I think breaking things down scientifically uh, sort of ruins the mystery and the allure and the romanticism of what's happening out there. And I think exactly the opposite. I think breaking things down and getting a better understanding for what these people are doing 
only increases the appreciation for how superhuman some of these things are. We can understand that, you know, my driver doesn't move the way Tiger Woods does, and, and I just sort of obviously know that, but when you really stop to appreciate the way that his swing seems like it has 200 different things that all happen in concert at the same moment, it's amazing what he's able to accomplish. When you think about baseball players, uh, you think about Prince Fielder out there uh, hitting a home run, and you realize that in less than the blink of an eye, he has so many things that he has to respond to and react to and anticipate. The fact that he can do it at all is just mind-bending. And and that does ultimately really help us understand all this so much better. I want to ask you specifically about uh, something that's in an interesting, entertaining chapter called Foul Ball, Tricky Pitches, Freaky Bats. I, I found myself really intrigued by this whole idea of corked bats because I just happened to be at Wrigley Field the night that Sammy Sosa... Huh. Uh, batted and his bat exploded and they discovered cork in it and, and all of that controversy which ensued. And, uh, I mean, I'm enough of, a, of an idiot when it comes to baseball that uh, I had no idea why anybody would, would alter a bat like that. Uh, remind our listeners a little bit about the physics behind uh, that sort of uh, dirty, <laughs> dirty undertaking. Well, sure. The idea generally is that you would hollow out the barrel of the bat and you would fill it with something lighter, whether it would be cork, whether it would be sort of super balls that you would buy from somewhere. Uh, and then you sort of plug the top end of the bat again and you kind of scuff it up and make it look like you haven't done anything. The general principle behind it is that by making the bat lighter, you can swing it faster. Uh, we've found you know, extensive evidence that faster bat speed has a tremendous influence on uh, the power with which one can hit a ball and how far you can hit a ball. The funny thing about corking a bat is that it actually may not help at all. And the reason is that when you take that mass out of the center of the bat, what you're also doing is decreasing sort of the, you know, the mass component of that energy equation. And so the speed that you increase it with may not actually make up for the difference in mass and the way that that stick is no longer as powerful as it used to be. Hmm. It's really it's really interesting when we sort of uh, look at things and you realize that there's a large debate over, uh, for instance, you know, scuffing a baseball. You know, if a pitcher grooves the top of a baseball with a nail file or his belt buckle or some such thing, it's obviously understood that that's cheating and not allowed. And for years, people thought, well, obviously, it gives someone a competitive advantage. And when you actually break down the aerodynamics of what it changes, it really may not make that much of a difference at all. Hmm. And so it's fascinating that all these things uh, that have been the accepted methods of cheating, you know, in baseball history may or may not have nearly as big an influence as people always thought they did. Fascinating. And we should mention that your book goes into, uh, into, into the very first chapter, I think, of the book into all kinds of facets of training an athlete. And, of course, part of that story is the whole doping scandal and uh, and the fact that uh, of, of what these various substances do and do not do, and again, uh, probably some athletes have ultimately abused their bodies in ways that probably didn't pay off in in the ways that they ultimately would have wanted. That's also a, a thoroughly explored in your book. It is unfortunately, you know, I'll say unfortunately, we we sort of had to delve into performance enhancing drugs. Uh, we would be remiss these days if we didn't. It's one of those things that we can no longer pretend isn't happening, certainly. Uh, sports like cycling and the Tour de France have dealt with this for years. 
Um, but, you know, we can't pretend that it's not happening in Major League Baseball and wasn't a huge factor in the 90s uh, and in some of those offensive explosions that we've seen. Uh, we go into a little bit of, of looking ahead to see what's coming next as far as the cheating methodologies are concerned there. It's really interesting when we stop to think that, you know, for decades now there has been something of a race between the chemists and the people who are trying to stop the chemists. Uh, and it's safe to say that for a while now the good guys have not been winning that race. Hmm. I want to uh, finish up by saying that uh, I also enjoy some of the relatively simple moments in this book, such as uh, a wonderful section in which you talk about the history of football helmets. And, uh, and in this richly illustrated chapter, we see how things have changed and, uh, and fortunately changed for the better in terms of trying to keep uh, our football players safe as they in- engage in uh, that uh, sometimes savagely physical uh, uh, game of football out on the field. Absolutely. There's been a a tremendous evolution of technology and safety technology in sports across the board, Uh, whether we're talking about NASCAR and, you know, the Hans device with the head and neck restraints after Dale Earnhardt's death, whether we're talking about these football helmets. That's one of my favorite chapters as well. It's neat to go back and look through football history and see how not only the players have evolved and changed, but also the technology that is used to keep them safe and to help them perform better. Uh, there's been extensive studies that were done by professors across the United States uh, with sensors and helmets and, and figuring out uh, what sort of loads players were sustaining when they were tackled, how to better protect them, and, and where to place padding inside the helmets and, and how to make those stronger and safer. Uh, it's one of the neat aspects that we sort of get to break down in here in this book. It's a great book, and again, it touches on all kinds of other sports as well, from skiing and running to hockey and golf and everything from the swing of Tiger Woods to the serve of Andy Roddick and much, much more. The book, Why a Curveball Curves, The Incredible Science of Sports, it's published by Hearst, a division of Sterling Publishing, and brought to you by Popular Mechanics. And you can go to popularmechanics.com for more information. And our guest today, Davin Colburn, I thank you so much for joining us today. Best wishes to you. Thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure.